Well, if you're following the outline, let me tell you really quickly. Keep a pen. I try to always have all the verses on there. Uh, this was actually printed after my first time through, and I've gone through it two, two more times since, and I've added a lot of notes. Uh, so I am going to cite some passages that I think I should have initially added uh, when I first put this together. I'm going to talk a little bit about the penitent thief, and I haven't spoken on uh, the penitent thief in years, uh, but since it came up the other day and we, we briefly talked a little bit about the penitent thief, I thought I would go back this morning and focus on just a few things that we can learn from the account. I will say there's not a lot of uh, verses pertaining to the thieves on the cross, and so uh, because there's not a lot of verses, many people just make a lot of assumptions about the thief. However, uh, if you really begin to break down and look and pay attention and study this account, there is a lot of information you can get. Uh, and so we're going to go back and spend a little bit of time. And uh, we just read from Mark. Now we have multiple accounts of the, of the thief here, so we can get information. But uh, if we start off with Luke, Luke tells us very plainly and very, very clearly that Christ was crucified. And there were two others that were crucified at the same place and at the same time as Jesus. I'm going to read from Luke 23, verses 32 and 33. And let me point a few things out because there's... Uh, sometimes there's matters of contention uh, on a few things here. Luke 23, starting in verse 32, he tells us by inspiration, and there were also two other malefactors. Let me point something out. Uh, that word there, malefactor, is uh, in the Greek translated as a wrongdoer or a criminal. Now, over in Mark 15, 27, which we just read right before I walked up here, you will find that the person, uh, the, the two people on each side of Jesus are described as thieves, okay? And so many say there's a contradiction here. There's not a contradiction. Uh, Mark is much more specific. He says they are thieves. Luke uh, describes them as wrongdoers or criminals. Is a thief a wrongdoer or a criminal? Yes, they are. Uh, they, these two men were, in fact, criminals, but they were more specific than the, uh, they were thieves, okay? So that's why there's a difference in the two accounts. It's not a contradiction. Uh, Mark is just a little more specific. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And then when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. All right, so basically as we begin to look at the account here, we see that there at Calvary there were three men and three men that died. Now, as we break them down, we see that first, as we refer to Jesus, there was one who died for sin as a sin offering, uh, as a lamb without blemish. There's one. Then you have one who dies in sin. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, thief here in a minute. And then you have one who dies to sin. So we're going to look at these three different men. I'm going to start off talking about Christ before we ever get into talking about the thief. There's a lot that we can learn simply in this account. Uh, and so I'll spend a few minutes there. And let's start off talking about the sacrificial love of our Lord and Savior. I'm going to go over to Philippians 2.8. Paul records for us, <clears throat> And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So between these two thieves, you have our Lord and Savior, Jesus and the scriptures state that he died as a ransom on our behalf. That's found over in Matthew 20, 28. And here's the reason. We needed a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. None of us could save ourselves by ourselves. 
we have to have a Savior. And so he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death. As he was carrying that out, we learn a little bit more from Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus is constantly teaching in all, in all aspects and situations in his life. Because really at the worst time that it could ever be, Jesus is actually being an example of obedience to God's will for his followers. Listen to Luke twenty two forty two, Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. One of the things we learn here is, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, that no matter what is going on, no matter how hard it is, uh, no matter what that situation may be, our focus is to always be to do God's will. And I, I, will, I will be honest and say, guys, there are many times, and I, hopefully all of you can agree, that you know, when we're struggling with things in life, that's, that's not usually our first focus. It's not to focus on God or spiritual things, oftentimes. It's to focus on the problem in front of us. But Jesus here is showing us that no matter how bad it gets, our focus is to be on the will of God. We learn in Philippians 2.8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Let me pause for a minute. That word humbled, if you look up the Greek definition, is actually defined as to bring low, to assume a lower position. And before I continue on, think about this. This is literally God in the flesh dying on a cross. You're not going to get any more humbled than that. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus here because we're going to focus on the penitent thief. But we begin to learn that, that Jesus lived what he taught. In the worst of all situations, Jesus continued to serve as an example and to look towards the Father's will. And then pertaining to the two men who are one on either side of him, we see that uh, he had forgiveness for the one, and we'll see what was required and what took place there. But we also learn about the danger of neglecting the Word of God from the hard-hearted thief. Let's focus in for just a minute now on the penitent thief and ask the question, what exactly can we learn from this account? Well, I'm going to start off with a very interesting statement made by this penitent thief over in Luke 23, verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This is a cry from a helpless man in a helpless situation. But here's what I find interesting. Well, there's a lot that I find interesting with that statement in itself. But one, he's not, he's not focused on escaping the death of the cross. This is a man who is hanging on a cross, literally calls him Lord, and he's not focusing on getting off the cross. He's actually concerned about his life after death. I find that very interesting today because many people I talk to, they're not worried or consider, considering spiritual things until they're near death. Many people don't think about spiritual things. They don't think about God. They don't think about a, a number of spiritually related things until they are very close to death. And in a sense, we do have that taking place here as this man is in a helpless situation and yet, he's not, he's not focused on escaping the cross. He's focused on what's going to happen to him after he, gets, after he dies, okay? Now, I want you to notice the difference between the two thieves, because that thief, he says, Remember me when thou comest 
into thy kingdom. He must have knew quite a bit, and I'm going to talk about this here in a few minutes, but Jesus isn't coming off that cross either. Let that sink in for a second. The thief who's not coming off the cross, who also knows Jesus isn't coming off the cross, says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy knows an awful lot, doesn't he? Can compare him to the other thief, Luke 23, 39. And one of the malefactors, thief, which were hanged, railed on him. Let me stop for a minute. That word railed is the Greek word blasphemo. You guys know what word comes from that, right? Blaspheme. He is blaspheming on him, saying, If thou be, the, if thou be thy, thy Christ, save thyself and us. If you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. This guy literally is mocking Jesus. That's why the word blasphemo or blaspheme is used there. The fact that Jesus is not saving himself and is not saving them who are dying the same death as him apparently has caused this thief to come to the conclusion this guy isn't the Messiah at all. Because if he was, he wouldn't allow this to play out like this. So there's no way that this guy could be the Messiah. And so he mocks him and says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. So literally on the cross, you've got one saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the guy on the other side's mocking him, inferring that, no, he's not the Christ. The penitent thief, you see a big difference between these, these two thieves, the penitent thief and the hard-hearted. He's saying, remember me. And no matter their situation, uh, this guy somehow, this, this Jew hanging on a cross, who knows something about the kingdom, he comes to the conclusion, and maybe he did prior to hanging on the cross. I don't know. There's a lot of information we don't get. But he has certainly come to the conclusion that Jesus was Lord. Okay? Remember again, he said unto Jesus, Lord. He also confesses him as Lord, though, as he's addressing him. And so he's come to this conclusion he's the Messiah, where the other one mocks him. Death is approaching all of them very quickly. And this penitent thief, his life's going to end pretty quick. And again, as I mentioned, he's not worried about being freed from the cross. He knows that's not going to happen. Interestingly, he knows Jesus isn't going to come off that cross too, and yet he realizes Jesus is going to be coming into his kingdom. And so he shows an awful lot of concern, but he shows an awful lot of understanding. Again, this man is in a helpless situation. Let me point something out. I'm going to go over to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.3. You guys are probably very familiar with this. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor is actually the very same word that is used to describe uh, in Luke 16, Lazarus the beggar. Okay? Um, there's a lot of humility that we find not only from the penitent thief hanging on the cross, but if you go back and read the account with Lazarus the beggar. And here in the account with this penitent thief, you have a man who needs help. Uh, and you have a man who is in need. Okay, He comes back to that definition. Only those who can realize their need of a Lord, of a Savior, of a Messiah, are going to see the kingdom. And it's interesting, he, he says that to Jesus, remember me when you when you enter into your kingdom. I'm not going to go back and spend a lesson talking about the church, but the kingdom is the church. Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19. I didn't put that 
uh, in your notes there. Uh, but the kingdom is the church, okay? This guy has some understanding. To what extent? I'm not quite sure. I'll touch on that a little bit more. But we do see he starts off with a cry of helplessness. He's in a helpless situation, and he realizes he can't save himself. And so he begins to reach out in a cry of helplessness to Jesus as he hangs on the cross. We then see he has a cry of faith. This is a Jew, a Jew who has done something horrible. He's gone out and he has sinned. He has stolen and he's now facing the consequence of that. But now he is a Jew who is literally one as, who is a believer of Jesus as the Messiah. Now again, I don't know exactly how much this man knew about Jesus. I don't know how much he knew about the kingdom. He knew something about that. Uh, but he knew this. He knew Jesus was innocent. We'll touch on that here in a minute. He knew, he knew without a doubt Jesus was an innocent man. Again, he knew about the kingdom. So had he heard John the Baptist? I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. Had he listened to Jesus preach? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he heard the apostles preach. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us. But I know this, he knows a lot about the kingdom or some about the kingdom and a lot, uh, a lot or some about Jesus, about Jesus' nature, uh, that Jesus was not a, a sinner. And literally this causes him as he's reaching out to Jesus, but the one on the other side is, is mocking Jesus. He literally rebukes the other one because of what he has said. Follow along. Luke 23, 40. And remember... They're all in the same situation, and we've talked about the agony on the cross. You're under a lot of stress as you're hanging, hanging there, and all the weight there is pressed down on your lungs, and you're using your feet to push up. So they're in a lot of agony as this is taking place. And even in agony, agony he, he begins to rebuke the other thief. Listen to Luke 23, 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Let me pause for a second. That is a very, very, very important statement. Most people would read that and just move on down the line. What are we learning about this thief, this penitent thief? He knows about the kingdom. He's calling Jesus Lord. And then he asks the other one as he's mocking Jesus, do you not fear God? And then he says this, seeing thou art in the same condition. <laughs> Don't you fear God? This shows that, one, he recognized the situation of their sin, the consequence of their sin, but at the same time, he realized that this man is mocking God in the flesh. He's addressing him as God in the flesh, as Lord. He recognizes he's the Messiah. The other one is mocking him, and he literally just asks him, Don't, don't you fear God? He's worried about spiritual things at a time when he should be, and the other one does not appear to be. As he's doing that, as he's literally asking, asking the other one if he fears God or not, we see that he actually makes a confession of his own sin, and he acknowledged sin. You know, it's interesting, when we talk about becoming a Christian today, we talk about the, the need for faith, of course, and we see that. We talk about the need to confess sins, and we'll go over to Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's not in your notes here. But many will actually read this account, and they won't see where he's confessing or acknowledging his problem with sin. Follow along in Luke 23, 41. 
And we indeed justly, he's saying we deserve this condemnation based on the previous verse, right? He says, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. What was that? Well, the Bible calls them sinners, specifically malefactors, but they are thieves. And he says, we're, we're receiving what we get for what we've done. Right? We've committed sin. But he says, but this man hath done nothing amiss. We're sinners. This man that I'm acknowledging as Lord and this man that you're mocking as Lord, he hasn't done anything sinful. Do you, do you can see why he would say, do you not fear God? He knew Christ hadn't done anything wrong. These aren't in your notes, but Hebrews 4.15 says that Christ was without sin. You go over to 2 Corinthians 5.21 and it says he knew no sin. A lot of people talk about Jesus being the biggest sinner that ever died on the cross when He took all of our sins upon Him. Jesus died as a consequence for our sins, but Jesus never became a sinner. He never was a sinner. He knew no sin. He was without sin. And this penitent thief knew that. He knew that. He says he's done nothing amiss. So here's a man on the cross who's asking Jesus to remember him as he comes into his kingdom. And I'm going to tell you what, if that's not faith in Christ as, as a Messiah, I don't know what is. Now, I'm going to address that in a second because many will misuse that faith he has. But again, notice what he says in Luke 23, 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He's understanding who Jesus was. He's accepting of that. Now, I have to point this out, and I'm going to move on because I'm not going to stay on this very long, and there's a lot of verses I could give, but I'm not. There are a lot of people who will go to this account. They will use this as an example of the penitent thief uh, being an example on how to become a Christian simply by faith only. And I want to remind you, and I, I mentioned this the other day, but I want to remind you of a couple things. One, this man was born, he lived, and he died as a Jew. He was a Jew, just like Jesus. Jesus was born a Jew, lived as a Jew, and died as a Jew. And that thief on the cross was born as a Jew, lived as a Jew, and died as a Jew, just like Jesus. The church was established on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. That is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. The thief can't be an example of how to be saved by faith because he never knew of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He never knew that Jesus was resurrected. He never saw that Jesus was resurrected. He never heard the gospel preached. He didn't even know when the church would come into existence. This was a man who was a Jew who lived and died as a Jew. He can't be an example of how to, how to be saved as a Christian because he never, he never heard the gospel preached in its fullest sense. He never saw the church being established. He knew nothing again of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people say, well, then, then how could he be saved? Let me remind you of the fact, uh, Matthew 9, 6, that Jesus could forgive sins while he was here on earth. God in the flesh could forgive you of your sins as he was there. And let me point this out. I can't be saved like that thief on the cross because Jesus isn't here to forgive me of my sins personally. And the Bible makes it very clear that we have to be washed from our sins in the blood. Revelation 1.5, that's not in your notes. And you contact that blood through immersion in water, a burial, making contact. Romans 6, 3 through 4. 
Okay, I won't, that's, that one's not in your notes either. I'm not going to give you any more that are not in your notes as far as this goes. But how could this man be an example of how to be saved as a Christian when he didn't know the church would come into existence? He didn't know when it would come into existence. He didn't know he had to be washed in the blood of Christ. Again, Revelation 1.5. And he didn't know how to contact that blood. He didn't know any of that stuff. He was a Jew who lived as a Jew and died as a Jew. That should discount that. Now let's continue on with the penitent thief for just a minute here. We've seen that he had a cry of helplessness. He realized his situation. He needed a Savior. We see him referring to Jesus as Lord, so we see his cry of faith. And then we see he has a cry of hope. Luke 23, 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I'm going to focus on that just for a second here. He doesn't ask Jesus to spare him from the cross. Um, he's not focused on getting off the cross or saving himself like the other thief was. He realized his situation was his situation, and he, he literally turns to Christ as one who can save his soul. He's not worrying about the physical. That, that shows you the difference in the mindset between the two thieves. The one's looking at him saying, if you're, if, you're the, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. He's thinking of the here and now and the physical, not the penitent thief. He's saying, remember me when you get into your kingdom. He's thinking of the afterlife. He's thinking of what's going to happen afterwards. He's not focused on the here and now. Do you see the complete difference? He's hoping for a salvation after he dies, this cruel death on the cross. And again, like the hope of the penitent thief, that's the same hope that sustains us as Christians today. <clears throat> the definition of hope, we've given this before, is desire plus expectation. That is what hope is. Our hope is salvation in the end in a place that we, we call or we know as heaven. Okay. Paul speaks quite often of this hope. Let me give you just a couple of passages. It's not, it's not a earth-only type focus on what Jesus can do for us. Not that, not that, we, don't, uh, not that, that we don't need Christ to, to aid us through uh, encouragement and hope and all that in this life, but that's, that's not our primary focus, and it wasn't the penitent thief's primary focus. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. That's true. Our hope is in Christ after this life, not only in this life. Yes, we have a hope of Christ in this life, but not only in this life. And Paul says, if that's your hope is only in this life, you're most miserable. Yeah, our hope is in, is in Christ after this life. Paul talks a lot about this, this hope in a number of verses. Let me give you just a couple. Listen to Titus 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life. There's, there's that, not just in this life, but of eternal life, he says, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We have confidence in eternal life for those who are faithful. I guess I could say it this way, for those who have met the requirements of pardon. Okay, and now as a Jew, a penitent Jew hanging on a cross, Jesus literally could forgive sins right then and there. 
And so he could receive pardon by Jesus personally. You can't today. Jesus is not here in the flesh to pardon our sins. But again, as I told you, we have another avenue recorded for us in the Scriptures. We can have our sins remitted uh, through the washing of blood, Revelation 1.5, uh, and we can have the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, at baptism, which, again, Romans 6, 3, and 4 is where that comes together. But you see that hope there. It's a confidence in eternal life. If I went around and told everybody I was a Christian, but I had no confidence whatsoever in eternal life, does that seem contradictory? Of course it does. And yet there are people who are Christians who do not believe in uh, eternal life when they die. I won't go talk about some of those groups right now, but they're out there. Uh, and there's a lot of people surrounding us who do not believe in eternal life. I will touch on that for just a second in a minute. Listen to Colossians 1.23. Paul says, If ye continue in the faith... Uh, let, me, let, me, let me pause for a minute. People talk about their big... Whatever faith you believe, it's all perfectly fine. There's one faith, right? And go back and look at Jude 1.9, contending for the faith. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, uh, by faith, the faith. There's just one system of faith. That's the New Testament for us as Christians, right? If you continue in the faith, which faith? Well, that's the one recorded here in the New Testament. So if you're in a different religious body or whatever religious body you are in, even this one, ask yourself, is what I believe and what I'm doing recorded in the faith? Right? Book, chapter, verse. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, notice this, and be not moved away from what? The hope of the gospel. Let me, let me pause for a minute. There are an awful lot of people who hope for salvation or they, they hope for something, but it's not according to the gospel. There's only one hope, one hope of eternal salvation, and it's through the gospel. From the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. The word had been preached to the entire known world at that time. Did they all accept it? Nope. But some did. Some had this hope, the same hope that this penitent thief has. Now, he's having it as a Jew, and he knows Jesus can, can uh, pardon his sins right then and there. But later, there were still others after Jesus died and shed his blood, and they had this hope through the gospel. They had a hope based on what the gospel teaches, a life of faithfulness. The Hebrews writer says this in Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay, upon, to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into, into that within the veil." That hope, the anchor, that's what, that's what keeps us from falling away. It's what keeps us from, from having confidence through all the trials and the struggles that we deal with. It's what helps keep us grounded. There are an awful lot of people today, and I'm sure you know some, um, that they have no hope. Now, what I'm going to say here may come across as shocking if you're watching this online and you're not a member of the church, or maybe you don't even understand what the body is, but let me say this. Anybody who is not a member of the Lord's body is without hope. Now, when I talk about the Lord's body, there's only one body. Okay, I don't have time to do a whole sermon on the Lord's body. You have denominational groups who say they are the Lord's body, but there's only one body. There's, as I pointed out earlier, there's one faith, the faith. 
that faith is believed by the one body. All that is described in here, book, chapter, verse, and we're told multiple times, don't add to and don't take away. So wherever you, wherever you worship right now, if you're watching this online, and even here within the church, ask yourself, am I part of this one faith? Because if you are not part of the Lord's body, you are without hope. And that may come across as harsh, but listen to Ephesians 2.12. That at that time ye were without Christ. These are people who are without Christ, okay? Very clear, they're not in the body. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Does that sound like many people today? Whether they know it or not, the answer is yes. And we learn a little bit more in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's talking about those who have already died, that were faithful. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. What was he saying? We have hope and confidence that Jesus Christ was the first fruit. The fact that Jesus died and was resurrected is proof that He's going to come back for His followers. And Jesus says He will. I'm going to come back for you. He was the first fruit. That is part of what our hope is based on. Okay? The penitent thief, he knew a little bit about Jesus. He knew some stuff about the kingdom. He didn't know all of this. He didn't know all of this. He knew a little bit. But he definitely didn't know what, what blessings would be for the church. So again, how could he be an example of how to become a Christian when he didn't even fully understand the blessings awaiting Christians? We have a hope and confidence that Christ was the first fruit because he resurrected. That penitent thief didn't know any of that. We see that he had a cry of helplessness in a helpless situation on the cross. We see his faith as he addresses him, Lord. We see that he does have hope. Now I want to point out this, and this is, people don't like this word today. Uh, the penitent thief had a cry of submission. He realized he's in a helpless situation, and he realized he can't save himself. Listen to Luke 23, 42 again. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He knows he can't save himself. He needs a Lord and Savior. He knows Jesus is the one that could do this or He wouldn't have even asked. He calls Him Lord. Now many again would read that and they just read right past it, right? Uh, they call it, he calls Him Lord, Master. He is, he is recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. He's also recognizing that Jesus has the ability spiritually to save Him. And so by calling Him Lord and addressing Him as Lord in this situation, He is placing Himself in a position of submission to Jesus. That's exactly what He's doing as He calls Him Lord. He realizes He is the authority. Christ is our authority in life. He is the authority for all men, not just Christians. And so it doesn't matter if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're an agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're a Satanist. It doesn't matter what you claim to be. You can claim to be anything or nothing. Uh, but every single person will be accountable to the gospel. 
Whether you like that or not, that is the truth. Listen to Romans 14, 11, and 12. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, that is individual. I don't care what religious group you're in. Let's take it to an individual level. Every single person is going to bend the knee. They're going to confess. He says, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter what you believe. The creator of all is the one who is in a position of all authority. Many people don't realize as that penitent thief is hanging on the cross and he addresses him as Lord, he's acknowledging that. He realizes it. That's why he's not asking Christ to get him off the cross. He knows he's going to die on the cross. He's not worried about dying on the cross. He's worried about the kingdom afterwards. This guy understands a whole lot more than I think many people do today. And he is showing, he is showing clear understanding here. He's accountable. And he's in a position where he, he's right next to the Lord and Savior, and he can ask Him, Help me. Remember me. Listen to Philippians 2, 10 and 11. That at the same name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All the people who say they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to confess Jesus is Lord, whether they like it or not. I don't care if they're a follower of Muhammad, Buddha, it doesn't matter. They're going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And when you confess Jesus is Lord, you're also confessing that His Word, His Word is authoritative and you are accountable to it, whether you like it or not. And that goes for every single thing you can talk about, whether it's how you treat your spouse in marriage, how you treat your employer, how you treat your children. Everything is covered under that Word. Let's go to John 12, 48. We actually saw this verse this morning in Bible study. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Who's it going to judge? Every single individual who's going to bend the knee and confess that Christ is Lord. His word will judge every one of them, and they will bend the knee, and they will confess He is Lord, whether they agree with Him or not. This thief had quite a bit of understanding. He has a cry of submission. Some would use a different word and say he's surrendering himself to Jesus. The word surrender means to stop resisting. It means to submit to another's authority. That's what the thief does. You see that there, and I think many just pass right by it. Listen to James 4, 7. He talks about this same idea of submission or humility. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. For anybody to have true humility, and we talked about earlier Jesus talking about those who were poor in spirit, talking about humble humility, those who realize they are in a position of need. Same thing used to describe the beggar there. Humility requires submission to His Word. I'm going to go over to Hebrews chapter 2, look at verses 5 through 8. For unto the angels hath He not put in subjection the world to come, Whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? 
Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Let me pause. Whether you agree with it or not, you are subject to Jesus Christ. Whether you agree with it or not. And on that day when you bend the knee and you confess, you'll realize that. All things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. There are an awful lot of people today who will not submit themselves to Jesus. They don't realize they're in a helpless situation. And they don't realize that Jesus is the only one that can save them. That same word there is used of the supremacy of Christ. Ephesians 1.22 And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus is the authority over everything pertaining to the church. What you believe, what is done in practice, everything is based on the supremacy of Christ. And that goes back then to the inspired word. Whatever you think, whatever you do, needs to be done according to the word. Now again, although the penitent thief never knew of the resurrection of Christ, he never knew uh, exactly when this kingdom would come into effect. I don't know that he fully understood what the kingdom was, but I will tell you this, although he never knew any of that, and although he never heard the gospel, so he could never obey the gospel, we do see that he had a, he had a need and a willingness to show submission or a need for Christ to come and to, uh, to save him. He, he acknowledged that. We as Christians have to have that same type of a life of surrender. Now granted, he was in a situation where that's all he had. And you would say almost anybody would surrender in that situation. Not the hard-hearted thief. That, guy, that guy's being hard-hearted all the way up to death. He's not going to change his ways. He's going to take it to the grave that way, but not, not the penitent thief. He realized, and it, by acknowledging him, him as Lord and it, it, showing this sign of submission... In, an, in a way, He's an example for us. You want to be a follower of God? You want to be a follower of Christ? There has to be this submission. Paul says in Ephesians 5.24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, he, he goes back to the marriage relationship to try to explain this. But yeah, there, there is a, a situation there where the church is subject wholeheartedly it's that idea of you can't separate the two, right? To be subject to Christ is to be subject to His Word and to the Word of those who wrote and spoke by inspiration. But our stubborn and selfish will usually carries out in our life in many regards, and that's why we have problems. Ask the hard-hearted thief. That's just pure stubbornness right there. He could have done what the other one did, and he could have yielded to the will of the Lord. He could have acknowledged Jesus for who he was. He could have reached out and said, I realize I'm in a helpless situation. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But no, he didn't do that. He bla the, other one, the other one blasphemes him. We've got to be crucified in obedience to our Lord. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples... If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This isn't in your notes either. I'd go back to 1 John 2, verses 3 through 5 there. 
Hereby, hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Or, or Luke 6, 46, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? There has to be submission. Well, while the thief never saw the church come into existence and he never obeyed the gospel, like many of the Jews that we read about during Jesus' ministry, he did come to an exemplary faith. He did come to an understanding that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. And while they were never an example of how to become a Christian, they are examples of the faith that we have to have. Let me give you one more verse, Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Let's ask this question. Have you surrendered yourself to Christ by obeying the gospel? And if you have, are you living a life of submission by adhering, being submissive to the inspired Word? If not, why not? Submit yourself to God. Realize, like that thief on the cross, your helpless situation without Him. And show your faith every day by obeying the gospel and living and assembling with the saints with the hope of salvation. And I will say this, each of our salvation depends upon it. We are to live every day really as a submissive and surrendered servant, much like that penitent thief who hung on a cross and he realized this, I am in a helpless situation to do anything for myself. But Jesus can help me. And if we ever get away from that mindset, it won't be very long before we're not faithful. As I draw this to a close, if you're here, if there's some way that we could assist you, we would love to sit down and, and share the gospel with you. Very simple. I've already touched on it. You need to understand who Jesus was, why He came, that He was the Messiah. He's going to establish His church, which He did. You need to understand the consequence of sin so you can repent of them. You need to confess Christ, and you need to be immersed in water for the remission of sins. Why? That's when you contact the blood, Revelation 1.5, Romans 6.3 and 4. It's how you get into Christ, Galatians 3.26 and 27. And guess what? It saves you, 1 Peter 3.21. And then you have to be faithful. If you're here and you've not done that, we'd love to study with you. Uh, if there's some other need that we can help you with, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.